It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I'm your host, Ben Carnes, on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. And uh, since our last show, we've uh, begun a new year, completed 2017, and in keeping with that theme, uh, we're joined today by uh, a couple of groups who are pretty solidly entrenched in the daily business of, of government and uh, of doing government, doing it well, um, uh, to discuss basically what, what 2018 uh, might look like uh, looking forward for federal employees. And my guests are uh, Tom Berger, the executive director of the Professional Managers Association, which has uh, thousands of members focused primarily uh, in the Internal Revenue Service, and obviously uh, quite a bit of news bearing down on uh, the IRS uh, now and in the coming months as well. Uh, And my other guest is Pat O'Carroll, who's with the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, uh, which has uh, tens of thousands of members across uh, 65 agencies uh, all across the federal government focused on on federal law enforcement. So um, thank you both for for joining me this morning. And uh, I wanted to turn to uh, probably the the biggest issue that I think has the the most area of overlap and and affects both of your, your memberships, obviously, which is the ongoing budgeting process. Um, I think we're coming up now on uh, our fourth continuing resolution and just generally has been a period of, of sort of instability with the Department of Defense and others uh, coming out and saying, uh, I think the Navy said basically they've essentially lit $4 billion on fire uh, just through the um, through the ongoing continuing resolution process. So, um, Tom, what is the, the Professional Managers Association looking at with, uh, with the budgeting and uh, – sort of the, the instability that, that goes along with it. What does that look like on the ground for your for your members? Well, I think the members uh, are concerned that the, the instability, as you mentioned, uh, with the budget uh, makes it very difficult to do any planning, long-range planning particularly. Uh, you know, as you said, we've already done four continuing resolutions, and uh, there's, there's rumors out there that between now and next Friday, they're going to come up with another short-term resolution, which is it makes it extremely difficult to do any planning. I mean, you know, looking at the IRS as a whole, the, the budget starts at Treasury, then comes to the IRS. From the IRS, and then it gets doled out to the various functions. Uh, and, and in my particular function, uh, as, as one of the functions that uh, I'm concerned about is the compliance function. <clears throat> and until that budget comes down and the, and the money gets into the enforcement area, we don't know what kind of budget we're going to have. And uh, it's a little difficult to get out there and do... Uh, examinations and compliance checks and all of the things that uh, allow the IRS to bring in on an annual basis a collection of about $3.3, $3.4 trillion. And that's money that funds the U.S. government. And the the IRS specifically has has faced budget cuts in the last couple of years and uh, staffing uh, shortages. I, th- I think you've lost 2,000 since uh, well, actually, in the last uh, couple of years. We're, we're, we're down close to a billion dollars mm-hmm. since they started the cuts on the IRS, and we're down between seventeen and 20,000 uh, full-time equivalents, uh, depending on which reports you look at. 
Uh, keep in mind that we, we do a lot of temporary hiring over the filing season, which we're in the middle of now. <clears throat> and of course, tying into that in the budgeting process is, uh, I know there's concern on a lot of um, member associations and government uh, employee associations uh, of the, the discussion of cutting federal pay and benefits. And um, this is, I think, the, I think this is the fourth time we've, we've kind of had this scare of, is the government going to shut down? Are we going to pass another continuing resolution? It looks like this morning, uh, Federal News Radio uh, ran a story that said, uh, House Majority Leader Kevin Carthy is saying that it looks like Congress is going to consider, <laughs> not, not a big surprise, but another continuing resolution. Um, that has to make it even more difficult. And I, I think, Pat, your membership probably uh, feels the sting of that as well. Um, as you're facing recruitment challenges and uh, facing staffing shortages at some agencies, um, how do you deal with the instability, the further instability caused by uh, not knowing what your budget is going to look like? How do you how do you plan? And what are you hearing from your members on that? Well, Ben, thanks for inviting me to be here today. And uh, this is a major issue of concern to us because in law enforcement, stability is very important. And What's been happening now is, is with these continuing resolutions and no real sign of there any stability in terms of budgets, it's very difficult for the agencies to be able to determine how many people they're going to need. And the other issue that's coming up of major concern to us is, is that what's, we're being mandated to do more hiring for law enforcement agencies, but we need the funding to do it. And then the biggest part of our concern is, is that as with all other government organizations, there's as many people leaving as coming in. So it's very difficult to be stemming the tide of uh, hiring at a time period when people are needed in the organization. And the other problem is, is that as you're hiring up, which is the mandate for many of our law enforcement agencies, you need the seasoned, more experienced uh, staff there to be trained the new people coming in. And um, and all that requires having a budget and knowing what your future is going to be for your agency budget-wise. And, of course, that is just sort of a, a cherry on top of, of what we've been experiencing for the past few months or what, what agencies have been experiencing for the past few months, which is a government-wide reorganization and um, sort of it ties in directly with the with the budgeting process and the, the general feeling, I think, probably of, of some instability with threats to pay and benefits and then sort of instability actually w within the agency. Um, has, uh, in your experience, the, the IRS, federal law enforcement um, agencies, uh, how has the reorganization gone? I mean, uh, on that front, have you heard from your members um, about what it looks like kind of on the ground in the trenches doing the daily business? Uh, well, speaking for the IRS, I, I the folks that are in the trenches continue to do the jobs that they're required to do. Regardless of what's going on outside, they know that we're in the middle of a filing season, that there's certain things that need to be done, or if they're on the examination or compliance side, they know there's examinations that need to be done, and they do what they need to do. Uh, but I got to tell you that the morale is low. The constant attacks on federal employees and the constant attacks on the IRS in particular and the uh, trying to impeach the commissioner over and over again uh, has had an effect on morale. And uh, as Patch said, you know, when we go out and try to do hiring, um, we're trying to hire the best and the brightest and not the bottom of the barrel. And it takes a long time to get a revenue agent trained. And we invest a lot of money in a revenue agent. And if you bring somebody on and you do a significant amount of hiring, and then all of a sudden the budget gets slashed and you don't have the funds to pay that person, you've wasted a lot of money. 
and it's difficult to imagine uh, trying to, to to plan anything, especially on the scale of the federal government, with with such uncertainty uh, constantly lingering overhead. And it, it obviously there's some overlap with with law enforcement. I know, um, you know, one sticking point and, and one obviously constant source of, of discussion has been uh, been the wall and immigration. But what what comes along with that is, is hiring needs. Um, you know, there are proposals for the border patrol to, to need to hire up, and and Secret Service again has has faced challenges. So. Um, it, I, I assume that that the agencies are, are feeling very immediate um, shortages, and, and those seem to be uh, just continuing to grow. And uh, yeah, and, and in fact, uh, that's one of our issues is is that even though there's a lot of reorganization going across government wide, many of the agencies are remaining pretty much the same with the same jurisdictions and the same issues that they have. But they're all learning to do it with with less less on it. We have. A lot of issues in terms of with the prosecution of um, people that were, you know, that are being brought to justice, and uh, there's a need there for the, you know, I guess continuity and stability and rule, you know, basically to know when people are coming to work that there's going to be enough people there to do the job, and that's what we're kind of finding with with Secret Service as an example is is that they're just traveling so much now, protecting so many people that. Many of them are reaching their maximum amount of overtime in the summer with, you know, months to go before the end of the year. And uh, you just can't keep operating on, you know, paying overtime. We've always looked at overtime as almost like a punishment in terms of if an agency doesn't hire up to a certain amount, the punishment is, is that you have to pay overtime. And what's happening now is, is it's, it's a double-edged sword. They're not paying the overtime and they're not hiring up and that's having a major effect on the morale. Yeah, that's it's. It sounds like a really difficult situation, and I, I want to. We're going to take our first break here uh, in just a moment. Uh, when we get back, I want to talk a little bit about obviously, uh, as you mentioned, tax filing season is on top of us, and uh, the, the added component of of tax reform having just been passed in addition to the budgeting. I want to get a little bit into to how that is looking uh, on the ground and the challenges that that come along with that. Uh, but for now, I want to take a, a quick break. Uh, this is Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Good morning. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio 1500. I'm your host, Ben Carnes, and I'm joined this morning uh, by Pat O'Carroll of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association and Tom Berger of the Professional Managers Association. Uh, their, their groups cumulative, uh, cumulatively represent uh, quite a few thousand uh, federal employees between them uh, across uh, numerous federal agencies. And uh, we're discussing the budgeting process, the ongoing uh, threats to, to federal employees' pay and benefits, and uh, the fact that the fourth continuing resolution of the last four months is, is now bearing down on us. But in addition to that, uh, we just had several months where uh, the, the main news story uh, was tax reform, and uh, that, that debate uh, dragged on for a while. Um, obviously, Tom, Professional Managers Association, representing the IRS, um, your people are, are the ones who are kind of on the ground facing that right now, having to, to implement the 
new components that come along with the uh, the tax reform bill. Um, as you mentioned earlier, uh, you, you faced uh, a loss of uh, quite a few thousand staffers in recent years, and you're down, uh, I think, $900 million, almost a billion dollars from 2010 funding levels. So it's, it's a difficult time period, sort of, of a perfect storm of, of challenges. And uh, also on top of it, uh, kind of lack, lacking uh, an acting commissioner right now, or a commissioner right now. Um, how How is the IRS handling that as an agency? I mean, there, there's sort of just on a fundamental level, it seems that like there's a, a real capacity issue and, um, you know, it, handling tax filing season by itself, I think would be a big enough challenge, but doing that while also implementing um, new new tax proposals uh, must be twice sure. as difficult, I would assume. Sure, Ben. Let me let me, let me me just say one thing. As a uh, executive director for, for PMA, mm-hmm. I'm uh, retired outside the organization. So the views that I represent are my views and not necessarily mm-hmm. that of the IRS. But in general, with 37 years of experience in the IRS, the budgeting process has, has been dismal uh, for the last number of years. And uh, it, it's, for purposes of planning, it's just an abomination. Um, the new tax law, we, we just got out this morning, as I, I heard, uh, the withholding tables, which everybody's mm-hmm. been clamoring for. Uh, and I do a weekly newsletter, and I, I caution folks in the newsletter to say that, you know, you may see a bump in your um, weekly or biweekly pay, but you make sure you do a good calculation on that because you don't want to come around to April of 2019 and find out that you owe taxes. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to have the tables change. It's another thing to, based on information from your own personal family, uh, what what that's going to impact, how that's going to impact you when it comes to your, your taxes. So that's, that's one situation there. Um, the, the constant attacks, is, as you mentioned, on, on federal employees' pay and benefits uh, is demoralizing. Uh, to tell somebody they're going to reduce their pay or to, to tell somebody that they're no longer going to have their health insurance paid for or all of a sudden after 27 years of working, they come in and change the calculation for retirement or they change the rules on retirement, which which uh, just drives me crazy because when we, we all joined, and I'm not a young man anymore, but when I joined the service, the deal was 30 years and you can retire with a benefit. So now with the FERS, I mean, those things have changed, and even the new FERS employees, they're, they're paying different contribution rates based on changes Congress made. Uh, and we're trying to support a flat rate for all FERS employees rather than uh, somebody that came in at 213 is paying one rate. Somebody that came in at 214 is paying another rate. Uh, so it's it's very difficult. And uh, you know, there there's, it seems like there's sort of a <clears throat> excuse me a short term challenge of, of the instability of not knowing whether the government will be open in eight days, which obviously lends to to the budgeting process and then to staffers, uh, employees generally a sense of instability. Preparing for that and doing that costs millions of dollars. Yeah, and the, and then the retirement uh, aspect and the kind of the long term pay and benefits aspect kind of adds to that as well on another front. And Pat, I know uh, your organization, your membership has been concerned similarly um, about retirement issues and some of those changes that that don't seem to recognize some presuppositions about about the way the the, the system is structured. Um, and uh, you can, if you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely, Ben. Uh, one of our biggest concerns with law enforcement is is that. It's a, it it's a requires youth and, and requires people being in good shape. And part of that is, is there's now a mandatory retirement age of age 57 for law enforcement officers. And 
That's of the 26,000 people that we're representing. That's probably one of their biggest concerns is, is that if they're being forced to retire at 57, a lot of times any of these changes that are being discussed in terms of whether they're going to use a three-year or a five-year calculation for your retirement, it, if you're a normal government employee, you just work two more years and you can probably you know, balance that out a bit better. But in the case of law enforcement, when you hit that mandatory age, you can't do it. There's another part of it, too, is, is that built onto the first system is, is that it's a three-legged stool in terms of that our agents are, one, contributing to their retirement, and then, two, is, is another portion of it is going, to be, is, that is going to be their thrift savings, and then the third part of it is Social Security. Since Social Security doesn't kick into 62 on it, you have that five-year period between 57 and age 62, which is supplemented. Everybody pays into it for the supplement on it, and that's one of the things that are being threatened to be cut, which would mean that one-third of the income for those people would be taken away, and it's something that they've contributed to, so there really isn't even a loss to government. But there's that, that's sort of the nuance that we've been talking about, Ben, in terms of law enforcement is, is that it, it's a lot— there's a lot less flexibility in terms of the retirements. And it's just as Tom had said before, is as everybody comes in with this expectation of a contract with government that, you know, you'll risk your lives, that you'll, you know, be out there serving the public for a period of time, and that at the end of it, there's going to be a buffer in terms of your retirement. And now when that's not there, it's really having an effect on morale. People are trying to decide you wouldn't believe how many people at the end of December were all writing letters asking, should we you know, get out now rather than risk another year in the government, which is a terrible position to be in. And it, and it kind of highlights uh, something we had sort of discussed briefly, which is, uh, in, in my mind at least, the, the gap, the gulf between the private sector and the government in a lot of ways. Because if you saw uh, a corporation, a business doing this, certainly as a job seeker, um, it, it's not a place that you would probably you know, make extra effort to, to try to go work for when you see staffers sort of not, not knowing what the, the future looks like for them and then also getting attacked from the outside. Uh, when you have something like a, a Border Patrol uh, hiring, sort of a struggle to hire the necessary number of people, you, you can understand how this only exacerbates those issues. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, that's, you know, one of our major concerns is, is that we're not only competing against other federal agencies in our, you know, our hiring and our recruiting, we're hiring and we're up against state and local law enforcement, many of which have some, you know, very, you know, uh, attractive retirements and attractive salary levels and straight 20 years and out. And then you're looking, you can then go to a different career. There's a lot of advantages and we're competing against them every day of the week. And uh, and then the other part of it is is that, you know, we, we just need to have, you know, the morale used to be that everyone wanted to come to federal law enforcement because of the stability of it. And now that it's unstable, it's making it very difficult to hire. In in the midst of that, and we talked about, Tom, at the IRS, the, the staffing shortages uh, and the, the kind of lack of resources um, or the lack of a of an actual confirmed bump in resources, even as you're you're facing these uh, added requirements, um, what what is tax filing season actually going to look like? Are there going to be uh, challenges uh, on the part of the IRS in actually getting it done? I know uh, uh, former Commissioner Koskinen specifically pointed out when he was outgoing the the decrease in the number of audits the IRS was able to do. So really, uh, a difficulty in even being able to keep up with the the expectations of uh, 
of the requirements. Yeah, I mean, audits generally are, are I mean, it's no deep, dark secret. It's it's in the data book. The, the audit coverage is going down, and it's been going down for a number of years as we've been taking further hits. Uh, couple that with, you know, the, the, the toll sites, the call sites, where they've been answering only 60% of the, the phone calls coming mm-hmm. in, and we get 100 million uh, calls coming in. We get a half a billion inquiries on our website. Uh, last year, I think we had 300 million hits on the where's my refund. And it seems safe to assume that number is only going to go up. Again, it's, going back to the tax gonna reform, go people are going to have questions. In most cases, and then as far as the call sites, uh, I think Nina Olson's report indicated that possibly the uh, answering of calls could drop from 60 to 40 percent. Uh, there's just uh, going to be that many more people calling about their state and local income taxes, their real estate taxes. Do I get or did I lose my medical deduction? So on and so forth. Uh, and, you know, as Pat had mentioned uh, uh, on a sidebar a minute ago, uh, moving expenses. You mm-hmm. know, uh, we got a lot of people within the uh, federal government that move as executives, that move as senior managers, that move as law enforcement personnel, and uh, uh, moving expenses are going to be gone. And I know that there was some concern, hopefully it was part as well, without getting into the weeds too much, I know that there were, there were also some moving concerns with uh, with some of the exemptions uh, in the, the budgeting process that were uh, potentially at risk for federal law enforcement officers. Um, so it kind of it hits again at um, the instability that both of your your, your members uh, are are facing. And I know um, I want to get a little bit into uh, one component of that, uh, discussing the difference between the the private sector and and the federal government, and and being able to attract the best and brightest to work at uh, the agencies that your organizations represent. Uh, and that's the training component. Um, there's uh, there's an ongoing uh, debate over whether there should be uh, an extended probationary period. Basically, that meaning that when it, when a, an employee starts, um, and, and there are different proposals pending, but when an employee starts, they, they're obviously expected to be trained, or that, that would be the expectation, for example, at the IRS. Um, uh, somebody learning to, to handle tax filings would, would need to go through uh, extensive training. And... Um, I guess right now there are stories that indicate that some employees are not even completing the training before they're basically being held responsible for it potentially or being punished for it. Um, and I, I think both of your organizations are, are sort of similar, come down similarly on that issue on extending that and ensuring that that federal employees, in addition to facing some of this instability, at least are being adequately trained um, for their positions before they're actually expected to, to carry them out. Um, is that what? What is the 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 progress on that? Is there a legislation that you're supporting, um, and is that something that you're going to be looking at in 2018? Uh, it's something that I noticed that both of your organizations had had expressed some level of concern about. Well, for for purposes of the IRS, we we do support the 24 month uh, training period. Uh, it takes a long time to train uh, the technical people in the IRS, the revenue agents that go out and do the corporate exams, the partnerships, the subchapter S's, even high-paying individuals. Uh, and, you know, 12 months, they're still in training. Uh, so, and the manager at that point needs to make a determination, uh, is, is this person going to make it or not? And unfairly, sometimes the person is let go or a bad decision is made and somebody's kept that uh, could have been an A student in accounting but if they don't have the meet and deal qualities to meet with the taxpayers, uh, they're dead in the water. So yeah. we support. And I assume that there's a huge training component, obviously, to, to federal law enforcement. So, um, you know, not not having a clear picture of what 
that training looks like, or if it's consistent, I assume it differs between agency, but that, that must, uh, you know, kind of rear its head for you guys. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, I guess the FBI and the DEA have their own academies, but for the vast majority of our agents, they're all going to the federal law enforcement training center in, uh, in Georgia. And, but anyway, that's only one portion of it. So you figure about three months go into the training, which is going to be your general law enforcement training. Then from there you go to your agency and you're going to get your agency specific training for usually a period of another three months. And then the rest of the time is going to be on the job training. And that's where our biggest concern with this is, is that with the attrition going on, is, is that in the past, you usually would have one as your training officer who would be taking, you know, one-on-one with the new agents coming in. Uh, now that is not as predictable as it used to be. So again, it's the expanding the time for probationary periods is, is really advantageous because it'll give more time for the on-the-job training for the person as well as to be able to get them through the schools. Because again, when you start taking a look at it, right now with the staffing that we have, for uh, an influx of thousands of agents, which is the DHS is taking a look at, it's going to be meaning we only have so many schools, so many slots, so many things. We're going to be running overtime, and it's going to be you know very difficult to get the people trained. And we're going to pick up that thread when we come back from another short break. This is Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. If you're a federal manager, you deal with a lot of information. Here's a tip on breaking through the noise. Join the Federal Managers Association to have a voice on Capitol Hill. And to get filtered news and information specific to managing your workforce, join the 50,000 other federal managers who already subscribe and read the free weekly e-report, fedmanager.com. I'm Todd Wells, Executive Director of the Federal Managers Association, and I approve this message. Good morning. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio 1500. I'm your host, Ben Carnes, and uh, I want to continue the conversation we were having before the break with uh, the Professional Managers Association and the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association uh, regarding some probationary period measures uh, that, that both organizations support and essentially would, would at least uh, on paper, ensure that federal employees, when they're brought on board, and I believe there's a separate version that also addresses federal managers, but basically ensures uh, that they are receiving adequate training uh, before being being sent into the field in in a law enforcement uh, associate uh, law enforcement situation or uh, with the IRS, you know, being expected to, to handle tax filing season. Um, and uh, I guess to a, kind of a broader point, uh, Pat, that you were mentioning before, um, how does the uh, federal law enforcement community make the case that? You know, uh, the, the the criticism is that with, with some of the probationary period bills, you'll you'll sometimes hear that it's basically oh, kind of fat cat government employees who um, uh, are entrenched. Sort of the, the the common trope of uh, you know the, the 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 federal employee who who doesn't necessarily do anything. How does how do agencies, how do associations representing, for example, federal law enforcement, 
uh, get the message across that you know this is really ultimately about good government and about um, you know training our staff. It, it seems like that's another challenge that private industry doesn't have to face. You know they don't they don't face necessarily criticism over over training their people. It would it would never be an issue. So how uh, how do law enforcement, federal law enforcement agencies, how does your association deal with that challenge? Just a, a messaging issue, I guess. Yeah, Ben. I guess that is the big part of the issue is is that. What we looking at with law enforcement is is that it's unlike any other type of a profession in terms of that you know there's laws that have to be uh, enforced and then as the enforcement of the law there's the signal from the top on what's the priorities for law enforcement on it and and then of course the you know intrinsic danger of a law enforcement job to begin with so all those are you know kind of coming in and you're looking at management sending a signal down is is that we want to find not only our best and brightest when we hire them we now have to develop those make them you know bring them in on as our leaders of the next generation coming in and and that's the, the other problem that we're up against is is that if we're losing people at that stage, you know, you're losing your continuity, you're losing the soul of your organization, which is its people. And and that's all the stuff that comes down to the, you know, the I guess that government has to show that there's stability there and it has to, you know, be supportive of its managers. And Tom, uh, your, your agency uh, and your people kind of uh, face a similar problem, obviously not in law enforcement, but at the IRS. Um do you have any sense of sort of the practical part of me? I guess we we hear about the the retirement wave and all the, these threats and aging workforce at the IRS and other agencies and the difficulty in recruiting and bringing in new blood. Um, and then you have the sort of modernization talks of uh, the the computer systems underlying the tax code. All of these these challenges and sort of a lack of funding to address it. It seems just from a from a practical standpoint that at some point something something has to give. Uh, and so I, I mean. How do your how do your members deal with uh, the the frustration and what do they foresee? Is there is there hope on the horizon uh, in Congress? Um, you know what 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 do you what what message do you take to your members? I guess in in confronting all of these challenges. Well, I don't know. I have a hard time coming up with positive messages <laughs> yeah. when I send my notices out. But but one one comment on a prior discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to do the uh, training and we talk about the probationary period, uh, we take the top candidates. You know, we take our top producers offline to be the trainers. And, you know, that, that further compounds the problem if, you know, 12 months later we lose the funding and we lose those people. So that's, that's one of the problems. The second problem is, is, is changing the rules prospectively. I don't mind if they say somebody hired now January 1st, 2018, this is what you have to do. You have to work 40 years and uh, you're not going to have medical when you retire, whatever the case may be. And the people that come on board at that point in time know what the rules are. But to change the rules for the people that are already on board is, is wrong. Uh, with regard to, you know, the, uh, the changes in the, uh, the tax law and getting people trained, um, we have to dissect the tax law as it's written and then figure out the training that's needed, the tax forms that need to be changed. Schedule A obviously needs to be changed. Uh, you know, the 1040 needs to be changed. There's no more personal exemptions coming up. So those things are all going on. We have a whole division, tax forms and pubs, that's been working diligently on that. Um, those things continue to, to, to move on, and they take staffing and uh, additional staffing, as I think Nina Olson's report put out. Uh, there's going to be some drastic changes, and those changes need to be brought to the folks 
that are doing the examinations, whether they're at the service center or they're in the field. And it's sort of a, a different version, I guess, of the, the question that I asked Pat, but it's um, especially trying, I would think. Uh, it, it's no secret that the, the general sense of the IRS is not generally, you know, a positive one. Uh, just as far as, as far as public opinion, there's sort of this uh, uh, idea that it, it's okay to, to to kick the IRS because, you know, who likes paying their taxes and it's the IRS. And, and Well, the joke is a, when somebody asks you, who do you work for? You say Treasury Department. <laughs> and then they pursue it further. And they say, well, Treasury's big. Which agency within the Treasury? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and that, that's understandable, but it seems like that, again, and perhaps it's uh, sort of a million dollar question that that is is larger than the scope of the show. But um, when you're facing budgeting challenges and you're facing staffing challenges, recruitment challenges, and you're also having to kind of defend yourself, uh, just the, the very basic work output and say like we're actually doing important work. And if you want your tax season to go well, I mean we we need the resources. How do you tackle that 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 messaging issue? How do you take the message to people that you know the IRS employees are are good people doing good work and 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 what the kind of the nature of the real challenge is? Uh, to me, seems like that that's a daunting issue because there's a political aspect and a policy aspect to it. Right, and I think in most cases we normally have a a commissioner appointed, and the mm -hmm. commissioner would be the person going to the hill, um, carrying both, the torch a little uh, bit. Yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. carrying the torch and saying this is what we need. You passed a you know, fantastic tax bill. Now, in order to get this accomplished, this is what we, additional resources we need and not an additional cut. Hey, so are you, uh, are, are there specific uh, pieces of legislation or proposals um, that your organization is supporting as far as getting the IRS to the funding levels that the agency feels it needs in order to be able to carry out its mission? I had seen uh, one proposal uh, saying $500 million was, was kind of what was necessary for an injection right now. Um, where does your, your organization fall on those? Uh, again, my own personal opinion, I think if we got a billion dollars added to what we uh, had earmarked in 2017, I think it was 11.2, uh, that would bring us a long way to uh, getting some of the things accomplished. Uh, not that the tax uh, information is not going to be changed, while that's being changed and resources diverted to that, other other compliance functions and other functions within the IRS, whether it's you know the call sites, are going to be losing those staffing. And there's uh, you know when we were uh, off the air, Pat, you had mentioned that there, there's actually sort of an interesting area of overlap that I wanted to to touch on a little bit, which is the within Treasury the criminal investigative division, there have been some proposals to uh, re reform the way that's structured. Can you uh, explain? Yeah, it's, it's uh, kind of fortunate that Tom brought up the uh, perception of IRS and when uh, a person's asked what their employer is uh, and its treasury department. And one of the things that used to be for back years ago, I guess 40 years ago when I became a Secret Service agent, was is that there was numerous agencies under the Department of Treasury in law enforcement. And now that most of those went over to the Homeland Security and now left behind is one of the premier and oldest law enforcement agencies, the Criminal Investigative Division of IRS. Now is the only agency in Treasury or law enforcement agency they're having a hard time with identity in terms of is it, you know, do their priorities just IRS? Should it be going towards money laundering? Should it be looking at, you know, um, other issues on it? And there's been proposals made that maybe they'd be better suited under the Department of Treasury as opposed to just being IRS where they have to go through the bureaucratic structure of IRS in order to get an approval for a prosecution.
And is, is that something, uh, you know, not being familiar uh, in, in, in a very thorough way with sort of the structures of the law enforcement agencies, is that something that your organization has been supportive of? Yeah, we are supportive of that because what we're trying to do is, is again, is money laundering is one of the biggest things between the drug cartels and terrorists is money laundering on it. And somebody, IRS is probably the best equipped to be taking a look at uh, that type of uh, hiding of money and using resources for, you know, nefarious purposes. So our thought is, is that if they were raised up a level and put it, you know, with more reporting structure to the secretary, it probably would be advantageous. Uh, when, and, yeah, go ahead, please, Tom. One, one, of, one of the operations that I managed uh, when I was still working with the IRS was the money laundering operation uh, out of Detroit, where we would process all of the currency transaction reports and then come up with an analysis where, you know, uh, criminal investigators were looking at uh, somebody that was trying to avoid the 10,000 reporting requirements, maybe, you know, making 9,000 deposits and, you know, six or seven different banks. So this this operation up there would do an analysis on that and take the reports, uh, the ones that were filed and, and the other ones that were suspicious, and uh, work on that. Uh, as far as, you know, the criminal investigation division, I'm not up to speed on that, although I did have a number of conversations with uh, Koskinen and his predecessor, and I know that they uh, were not in favor of, of mm -hmm. the move, but, uh, you know, that's a uh, uh, not unusual in, in an organization as big as ours, and it might take some time before, you know, they're convinced that it would be a advantageous move. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's, it's it, I, I assume it's fairly safe to say that it's probably not uh, high on the, the IRS priority list just with so much uh, other business bear, bearing down uh, right now. Um, and I, I wanted to, uh, you know, sort of related here. I, I saw a story this morning of you know, Steve Mnuchin coming out and, and defending the IRS from from attacks, uh, basically defending employees, uh, which, which is there's sort of an interesting dynamic there. But I know that we had also spoken briefly, uh, Pat and Tom, um, about your organization's uh, experience, not only with the reorganization, but also, uh, you know, we're we're not that far into the administration, and there there have been. Uh, obviously, a lot of appointments, but there was a lag in appointments at, at many agencies, including, you know, the IRS has had shakeups, the people wearing two hats in some cases. Um, you, Pat, you had mentioned um, some meetings where, where certain agencies don't have a, a um, an administrator in place yet or, or an acting administrator in place yet. So going going back, I guess, again, to, to sort of what we were talking about earlier, um, has has that been problematic uh, for, for your your membership? Um, and what what has been your experience thus far with uh, with the appointments and and the, uh, the of the administration so far? Well, we were um, kind of right along what Tom just brought up before is is that you know the head of your agency is 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 really going to be the sense the tone for your organization. It, it's your direction. It's your long range planning. It's um, it's basically the person who's going to be there at, at Congress to explain that the money the taxpayers are given is being, you know, used correctly. And we're up against now, many of our agency heads are, are still in an acting capacity. And, um, and that's very problematic because usually when you have an acting person leading an organization, they're not going to take any risks. They're going to basically keep the agency at, you know, the, I guess, sort of the direction it was going under the previous administration, and um, because of that, 
we're, we're really looking for some kind of, you know, stability. And, and I'm finding as when we're going to visit any type of an organization to discuss it, we have to go to the website and find out, you know, who's the acting on it and what's their background on it as opposed to being able to go directly to the head of an agency, you know, to discuss the future. So it is a major concern of ours. Over my career, uh, when you had someone in that position, we usually ended up, uh, they were in a caretaker position. Mm -hmm. There were no major decisions mm -hmm. being made. They were kind of just keeping things status quo. And that's why the need for a, a permanent head uh, is beneficial. Yeah, and that's something I think uh, the, the Professor uh, Paul Light, who does a lot of uh, policy white papers on this, uh, had, had done some writing on, I think, the increased demands of um, some of the acting positions and positions that previously didn't have a, a huge amount of responsibility and how that, that has changed. Uh, we're going to take one more uh, quick break uh, before our last segment of the show. And uh, we're going to pick that up and continue talking about concerns looking forward to 2018 and some of the, the things you guys are looking at on Capitol Hill. Uh, this is Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio 1500. Uh, picking up the discussion before the uh, commercial break uh, about the priorities looking forward to 2018 of our uh, two guests, the Professional Managers Association and the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association. Um, you know, we've we've discussed the, uh, the the kind of sense of of instability and and federal employees uh, kind of keeping the nose to the grindstone and, and getting the work done uh, in some cases with um, resources that maybe aren't aren't up to snuff or, or, or just aren't sufficient. And looking forward to 2018, we're still experiencing really residual kind of kind of craziness coming from Capitol Hill um, and from the budgeting process from 2017. I mean, we're looking at a continuing resolution that is really unfinished business from last year. And then We'll go into another budgeting process uh, starting in February as we, we start discussing new uh, new proposals. Um, surely your organizations are, are looking forward uh, to the new year and um, and to, to Congress and to, to what's coming down the pike. And so I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about um, what, what you see coming down the pike, what your members are concerned about, and what you will be uh, messaging on, I guess, in, in coming months. Um, good point. You had mentioned, Ben, uh, residual in terms of that. What happened was is that uh, in the last, I guess, going up until the last recess of Congress, we thought, one, Congress was very focused on the tax bill and probably to the detriment of many other bills that were there. As an example, one of the bills that's of major concern to us is what's called the Probation Officer Protection Act. And what that is is that if you're a probation officer— and you go to one of your client's residences on it, and if there's another person in the room, and the other person in the room is either committing a crime by doing narcotics or even to a point where they try to assault the probation officer, they don't have the jurisdiction to make an arrest. 
So what they have to do is a step back into the hallway, dial 911, and hope that you know the regular police will come and help them. What we're looking for is for them to be able to have the authority as other federal agents when assaulted to be able to make an arrest on it. Anyway, that went all the way through Congress, goes up, you know, and and died on the floor at the last recess. Mm -hmm. So that's an example of one of the bills that we're on. Another one that got a lot of publicity was the Secret Services, is that they basically expend all of their overtime before, you know, I guess in, in many cases in the middle of the summer on it because the amount of travel that they have with the few people that, they, that they've been able to retain. And because of that, we were trying to get them some additional overtime in order to make it attractive for them to be able to hire people and also to pay fairly the people that are being heavily overworked. So again, that's another issue on it. Another one that's kind of of interest is, is that federal agents in, uh, in war zones. So as an example, when you're watching television, you're seeing the DEA agents in Afghanistan um, they're fighting arm in arm with the military on it and, and also with contractors. And what's of interest is, is contractors in the military are exempt from taxes in war zones where the federal agents in that war zone are being taxed at the same rate as they would if they were in the United States. So we, we have a lot of different issues like that that are uh, were, you know, very important to us. Police Week is coming up in May of this year. And we're going to try to, you know, get our priorities to Congress so that they're aware of them in, in a coalition of us and many of the other law enforcement uh, associations. Is, is there any uh, any sense of, of optimism on uh, on some of these measures? Um, ha- have you seen movement on, um, for example, uh, some of the funding and staffing challenges or, or um you, do you anticipate uh, kind of kind of any progress on those issues, or is it has it been kind of a uh, a challenge. I mean, it sounds like the, the the gears have kind of been gummed up with uh, with tax reform and with with budgeting to the point that it, it's almost been impossible to to get anything else meaningful done. Yeah, and that's kind of what we're finding is is that when we were going to like the law enforcement caucus or the judiciary committees on it, many of the members were so tied up at the meetings on taxes that we weren't really getting the access to them, and we're hoping now that taxes is off the table, that they will focus on these more important things. And Tom, uh, is there anything in particular right now that uh, PMA is sort of looking uh, well, to? Well, yeah, uh, two things. I mean, Pat just mentioned taxes. So let me just back up for a second and tell you about 216, where the IRS collected more than $3.3 trillion and processed more than 244 million tax returns and issued more than $426 billion in refunds. Uh, we would like to, uh, you know, surpass those numbers, uh, you know, in 217 and may very well pass those numbers. Uh, But it's going to take a lot of resources and a lot of commitment. Uh, With regard to legislation, I mean, two of the premier pieces that we're trying to keep a tab on is the probationary period and get that Mm -hmm. uh, up to the 24 months. And one of the other ones is a a bill for uh, mandatory training for managers. Uh, What happens in in the IRS is uh, you may be a technician and get selected for a management position, and they throw you into the manager's office, and a year later, you're still waiting for some sort of manager training. And you may have been the greatest technician in the world, but you have no training as a manager. So one of the things we wanted to do, and I think the bill provides for, is mandatory training within the first year of being selected as a manager, and then mandatory follow-up training uh, several years down the road to keep the people's, uh, the manager's skills I mean, things change, and you need to know the changes that are going on out there. 
So those those are two things. The managers are concerned with the probationary period. They jumped on that one uh, both feet. Uh, they really, really said that that would help us a lot with regard to making determinations on employees and getting the best and brightest versus the bottom of the barrel. And it's another one where it's, it's hard to imagine seeing the, the same situation play out in the private sector, or, or if it did, uh, I think the, the outcome would not be not be great if, if you had trouble recruiting, um, you know, the talented from the talented pool that you want to uh, to pull from. It's understandable how that that creates a, a, a troubling dynamic, but it's also tr- uh, understandable um, how you know, people might might have qualms about about coming to work, for example, for the for for the IRS when they see them being attacked on the on the news every night or on Capitol Hill every night or, or um, you know lacking the budget that they need. Um, it, I guess a lot of this goes back to the the very first conversation of the budget and and instability and the continuing resolution process. Um, will there be any effort on uh, your organization's parts to to look at multi-year budgeting or any kind of reforms that make an actual return to a, sort of a normal budget process uh, more likely? Is that is that something that you are talking about uh, well, when you go it, meet with congressmen? And, uh, yeah. Ben, I think uh, many of our coalitions have put forth and are trying to find some sponsors where we could get a multi-year budget. I mean, it just makes so much sense. Rather than going through this turmoil, we're going through four, five, six continuing resolutions to have a budget that's passed that that the head of the agency will be able to look at the budget and say, okay, I've got a two-year or, you know, utopia, three-year budget, and I can start this project. I can build this new training facility for, for criminal investigators, or I can start this IT infrastructure change and know that in year two and year three, I'm going to have the funds to, to finish this project. Uh, I, I believe all of, uh, in earnest that all of the associations would support a multi-year budget. And yes, and we'd be very supportive of that. In fact, one of the things that we're looking at is, is that, you know, with the way, you know, government, there's there's such a look now on reorganizing government. That might be one of the better things to do is just looking at the budget process of the government and any form of reorganization is just looking forward for long-range planning instead of just planning for tomorrow, which was what you're doing with the uh, continuing resolutions. Yeah, and, that, and that's something that um, it, it seems like I've, I've heard kind of uh, trickle out in the news a little bit, which is that um, for, for the uncertainty that a lot of federal employees may feel, um, you know, it's possible that, that a lot of good could come of that feeling of instability and that maybe some, some good things and, and depending on how it shakes out, you know, some, uh, if it were seized appropriately, you know, there, there would be an opportunity to make some, some positive change and whether that, I guess, comes about, it, it certainly seems less likely when you look at, uh, what the legis- legislative agenda has, has looked like, uh, at the end of 2017, but, um, with the uh, with the, with the mandatory training, um, that is uh, like I said something that that's hard to imagine in in the private sector. And um, I mean, it's it's I guess it's tough for me not being there to to imagine that that we're it really is as, as bad as hi, that we're hiring people and then simply just just not not training them. But um, you know, is that is that something that that you're actually seeing in the agency? Well, or the, or the... I'm referring to internal hires, where we're we're making someone a manager. But if you're hiring somebody from the outside, which is rare, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, mm-hmm. there the commissioner has to approve a hiring because we've been on a hiring freeze. Uh, the hiring that's going on now is temporary hiring for the filing season. Uh, 
Something that was mentioned earlier that I, I wanted to bring up was you mentioned bringing younger people in. I have 29-year-old twins. I could not get either one of them, a boy and a girl, to consider going into the federal government because they looked at my wife and I and said, oh, we see how many hours you work and we see how unhappy you are. So there was no way they were going to do that. But if you look at the population of the IRS in general, there are hundreds of people less than 30, hundreds. And the population of the IRS is in the, let's say, 70,000 for a round number. So if you got 70,000 people working for you and only 300 represent 30 years or younger, there's a problem there in their pipeline for people that are going to come up the ranks to fill these manager positions, these technical positions, these senior technical positions. And it, it seems so difficult to imagine how you would almost make up that that kind of gap without some some extremely dramatic uh, you know, kind of drive or, or real public shift in uh, letting people know that, hey, uh, you know, we, we've, we've reformed and, uh, and now to, to start drawing people uh, to work both in federal, some, some of the, the tougher federal law enforcement jobs and, uh, uh, and at the IRS. Um, well, last time I looked, I think we moved up in the best places to work, but we were certainly not number one. <laughs> Yeah, and and that you know the, the best places to work it actually brings up a great point. Um, in the last week, there was a a, a great piece uh, in one of the trade publications um, about the fact that I think only one of the several dozen agencies that was uh, highlighted in the the best places to work um, kind of matched with the the private sector on on employee engagement. And there, there had been a lot of improvement across the board. And certainly, I know know NASA and some of the federal law enforcement agencies uh, and other agencies were great success stories. Um, but be with some of those training issues and the budget issues, et cetera, that we've covered uh, today, um, it definitely seems to create a, a gap, a, a gulf uh, in in what federal employees ex- are experiencing um, and what what kind of the rest of the working world uh, seems to experience. Um, so we're going to have to to wrap up here, and I, I want to thank you one last time uh, to the Professional Managers Association Executive Director Tom Berger, and from FLEOA, uh, Pat O'Carroll, the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association. Thanks to both of you for for joining me here today. Thanks and, for having us, and I uh, hope to have you back. Um, and thanks for listening this morning, and uh, we'll see you again on the next Fed Talk here on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM. 